back to another episode of the Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Um, as you might expect, as the host of um, one of these types of podcasts. So, uh, for all of you who are new, or just for you um, people who um, ha- have amnesia or retrograde am- amnesia and have forgotten everything that I've said previously. Uh, this is a, um, actually, that'd be interrograde amnesia. You're forgetting things that you previously learned. Anyways, or you cannot develop new memories. That one. It's that one. Um, it's that one. All right. So the uh, this is a, a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, get to send me, the therapist, questions about OCD anxiety disorders, uh, what to do, how to treat them, how to work with them. What is uh, what is this kind of disorder? Hey, my girlfriend has this going on. How do I support her? Those sort of things. I want to hear them. And, and you know what? If you've got questions, there's a great chance that someone else literally in the world has that question too. So, uh, welcome everybody. Thank you all for joining me. Um, if I say it too much, I apologize, but uh, it is truly an honor that uh, anybody's out there listening, and I appreciate you all for um, participating in this kind of little project I'd put together about a couple of years ago, thinking that people would send in questions and hear what I have to say. And you know what? It's it's turned out to be pretty. Uh, pretty good and something special. So thank you all for for joining me and trusting me uh, as part of your recovery. So um, if you have a question for uh, the podcast, you can go over to Fearcast excuse me, fearcastpodcast.com, and you can go to the submit a question link, send me a question via email there, or you can send me an audio question, which I prefer audio questions, as all of y'all perhaps know by now. Um, And you can send me an audio question either through Instagram, so I am fearcastpodcast at the Instagrams, Uh, and uh, so you can send me a question there, or you can send me an audio question recorded onto your phone, upload it to Google Drive, and then send me the link to that. I will get it. I will receive it. I will put it on the interwebs and you will cut the line as it were. And you know what? Guess what? That's what's happening right now. So this is a question that is coming in from Mike. Mike sent me a question about uh, a couple weeks ago via Instagram. So uh, I'm going to play his audio here shortly, and then uh, I will give my thoughts on it. So this is probably going to be a relatively short episode because um, the, the question is relatively short, but you know what? I say that now, and I will surprise myself with how much that I can talk. So I'm, I'll say this, there's a little bit of background noise or a lot of bit of background noise, depending on how much I can try to edit out or, or adjust. Um, and that's also very fine. Um, please don't be concerned about what uh, the audio quality is. It is much more interesting, again, to hear your voice than it is to hear mine. I will say before I jump into it, um, I just found out that a couple of the talks, or I, I will be a part of, of a couple of talks at this uh, summer's uh, IOCDF, so the International OCD Foundation's uh, National Conference. Theoretically, it's going to be in Denver this year. And um, I say theoretically because, well, they had it scheduled for the past couple of years, but um, obviously those were canceled. So hopefully this actually go forward because, man, I want to go to Colorado. and Man, I want to see people in person. Man, if you find me there, I want to say hi to you and uh, fist bump or shake hands. I don't know, whatever people are doing out there or whatever the world is doing at that time. 
Um, also, there will be a talk that I will be giving. Uh, I myself and uh, a colleague of mine will be will be doing at our local OCD SoCal conference, and that should be at the end of April. So, if you're going to be joining uh, that conference or attending that conference, uh, feel free to stop in, check out the talk, or say hi, or or send me a message over there. But uh, also, don't feel pressured to do so. So, all right, I, I think that is all I have. Um, sorry, this episode is coming out a little late. Um, I typically would record early on in the week and edit it sometime in, uh, later on in the week or the weekend. But um, this past week uh, is a very short week because I went to Las Vegas for the week. Super exciting, right? It was not. Uh, I went because I had to watch my one-year-old as my wife went to a conference. So I hung out in a hotel room and then drove my uh, one-year-old around and we went to guitar centers and various pawn shops to see if they had gear. Uh, Turns out they do not. They did nothing interesting. Um, Also, I'm baffled with what to do with Las Vegas. Um, I know you can gamble. This sounds like it's such a dumb question for me as an adult to ask. Uh, I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I know you can gamble. I, I play blackjack. I like blackjack, but obviously I'm not doing that with a one-year-old. Um, and so, so Vegas seems to, to, it, it seems to be, to be this, uh, you can go and, and gamble and drink. And, uh, if you have, uh, if you have the body for it, you can, I don't know, go to a pool or something. I'm not going to a pool in Vegas. Thank you very much. Um, but, uh, other people will. So for those of you who like it, for those of you who love it, I also, I kind of want to know what, what there is to do. This is also a serious question because I'd like to go back. It seems like a thing that people like it's, it was only like a four hour drive for me. So, but what is there to do? Um, we've established drinking and gambling. Got those. Uh, you can see shows. Got those. Uh, so what shows, perhaps? So um, this is a silly thing, perhaps. So again, go, go to fearcastpodcast.com. Send me a message over there. Go over to um, Instagram and send me a message over there at fearcastpodcast. Um, I'm curious. So anyways, that, that's all my ramblings. And this is why this is coming out a little bit late and I'm recording late at night. So this is maybe one of those um, very odd episodes where I just ramble and I'm doing it already doing it. All right, we're going to get into it. Here is the question from Mike. Got diagnosed at 19 at OCD. However, I, you know, during rumination, of course, I was able to track it down to like, I don't even know when it started, probably 12, 11, something like that. Um, I guess, you know, on the recovery path, you know, my biggest question is, you know, what am I supposed to do? And I'm in the ladder of recovery. You know, I have like these small things. I've realized that my relationship with my girlfriend tends to be a trigger because I need to be perfect. You know, I deal with wink, wink, H-O-C-D, or I'm sorry, S-O-O-C-D. I deal with R-O-C-D. And I guess they kind of like just play bat with each other. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing besides having the disorder itself. But I guess, yeah, advice for the ladder of recovery, what to do in the, like, the later steps so you can finally get through, free of it. All right, Mike, thank you for sending that in. I mean, you, you, Mike, you've got a lot of great, you've got a great question there, and I think it's an important question to ask. What do you do in the later stages of treatment? I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of times we, we, the, 
OCD therapist community, we, the OCD advocates or anxiety advocates, whoever's out there on, on social media, there's a lot of talk about how to get into treatment, how to access treatment, what treatment looks like, what exposures are, how to tell family and loved ones, how to incorporate them into treatment. There's a lot of that discussion. There isn't a lot of discussion, I don't think, or I'm not hearing, or I'm not I'm not paying attention, perhaps, um, on what to do in the latter parts of treatment. Um, and, and I think that there can be a misconception with what treatment actually is, um, or excuse me, what, what the end of treatment actually is. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about some things that you can do in the latter half of treatment, since... Um, or in the latter half of treatment, and then also, what does recovery look like? Because these are these are two two different things, and they're they're a little bit of a different um, muscle to build. But um, my my fear in even bringing it up is that for some people, you're going to hear it and go, "I'm well, I'm doing that," or I'm, some people are going to hear it and say, "Well, that seems really um, like a like a letdown, or it doesn't seem as exciting," and good. That's also the point. Kind of the end of treatment for a lot, and perhaps I'm, I'm jumping ahead, the, the end of treatment will look very different for a lot of different people. So, um, well, why, why, don't we, why don't we just jump jump into that? So, Mike, you, you were talking about just, you know, what, what are some things that, that you can do? You talked about um, having, you know, your relationship with your girlfriend where you said it kind of needs to be perfect. You said that you know, talked about this interaction between ROCD and, and SOOCD. And <clears throat> for everyone out there, um, notice that Mike caught himself. He said he said HOCD, which is the, the older yet still used uh, acronym for um, for sexual orientation, what we are now calling sexual orientation OCD. HOCD used to stand for, I suppose, homosexual OCD. It is really just um, uh, obsessions about one's uh, sexuality and sexual orientation. Um, and then, Mike, you also said the magic phrase, uh, is that what do I, or you said something to the effect of, what do I do to finally get rid of it? So let's talk about those. So, so first off, so what what do you do in the latter half of treatment? For those of you who are new, let's talk about the stuff in the very beginning and how kind of the, the overarching the over the overall arc of treatment. This will be different from therapist to therapist. This will be different from you know a, a center to center. Um, but generally speaking, what is going to happen in treatment is that you're going to start with some psychoeducation. So you've, so you've done the assessment, you've agreed to work with this therapist, things are going to work or things are going to go. So you are going to do something called psychoeducation. And that's going to be a couple of sessions where you're going to talk about what therapy looks like, what CBT is, what exposure and response prevention is, what the role of everybody is, what's the role of the client, what's the role of the clinician in this, and kind of defining some of those things and and making sure that everybody's on the same page with where you want to go. Um, then oftentimes you're going to enter into cognitive restructuring, and that's going to be looking at the thoughts themselves, the obsessions, and looking at the legitimacy of them or the rationale of them, and um, see if you can reorganize them a little bit, see if you can challenge them a little bit. If you, and as I say, if you can think about them differently, well, you can probably do something differently about them too, right? So that's kind of w what is setting the stage for exposure and response prevention. If you can say, okay, I can see, I can rationally hang my hat, as it were, on the, the idea that this thought doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, or this, and this anxiety is governing my life. 
well, I don't like that. I don't want to do that no more. So I'm going to do something different about it. And then we actively have to wrench ourselves into doing that. And as, as inhibitory learning model discusses, we slowly start to learn a new way to interact with life. And we're learning that two things, that we can handle the anxiety and that too, our, our biggest fear, the feared outcome in the story is unlikely to happen. So um, I'm kind of mixing a little bit of traditional and new stuff. I apologize, but um, <clears throat> it's where I am. It's where we are. So oftentimes you're going to build a hierarchy at this point. So you're going to, you're going to put down a list of all your fears, put them in a list of, of easiest to face and hardest to face, um, or arranging to hardest to face. And then you're going to start with the easiest and start working your way up it. And sooner or later, you're at the end of it, and you've done the, 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 the biggest thing on your hierarchy. This can take weeks and months, uh, sometimes years, depending on the case. And eventually, you get to the top of your hierarchy. Now, Mike, I think this is where you're at, or this is kind of where you're at. You're saying, well, well, now what? Well, my my advice for a lot of people, my guidance for a lot of people that, that, that I work with is you want to continue to do the things that are working for you. Now, you don't need to do those things in a routine or ritualized or routinized manner, right? It's not magic what you're doing in the sense of saying, all right, I'm going to, and this is an exercise that some people do, is that they 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 take all the scripts that they've written, the, the imaginal exposures they've written over the course of their treatment, they put them into a book for themselves. And every day they read a couple as just, you know, starting their day. And it, it, it's uncomfortable and they don't love it, but it's, it's just kind of like that morning exercise. They get up, they freak themselves out with their scripts, and then they, then they, get on with their day, ultimately showing themselves that these thoughts, this type of worry, and this type of feeling is not something that is going to govern your day, your life, your feelings, your decisions, etc. It's that it's a feeling that you have, it's a thought that you can experience, and then you get on with your life and the stuff that you want to do. Now, it's not magic though, right? It's not like, you know, you're on vacation, maybe you went to Las Vegas and actually had fun. And, um, you didn't do one one day. It's not that because you skipped that one day, everything is screwed and then you're back at square one, which I don't believe anybody goes back to square one, but that's a separate sermon. So the point is, you do the things that work for you. I often recommend that people in the latter stages of treatment and even into the maintenance phase continue to do exposures. Now, you can do small exposures every single day, and some of those are going to be environmental things. We've talked about those. You can put up little post-its around. Um, I, I worked with somebody where at the end of treatment, they got a little tattoo. They got I, they got a, a tattoo. I'm going to forget exactly what it is, um, but it, it was a simple reminder of the things that they did in treatment. And it, it was it would have not given it away. It wasn't like, you know, the rainbow flag on their arm uh, for for you perhaps, or you know, a sign that said your relationship is doomed. It it was like a mouse or something like that, and that was symbolic for them of something that they had done in treatment. So they saw that as a reminder. Now that's something small, right? It may be passive or maybe too passive for you. But the, but what I recommend is doing some small things every day. Maybe it's just, you know, if you feel uncomfortable around someone of the same sex, you intentionally talk to that person or say hi or make eye contact or ask him what time it is or whatever. It's those little things. And then I would say week once a week, you do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more intentional. It might be watching a movie that's uncomfortable. It might be uh, 
<clears throat> eating at a restaurant that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and this, so this is just more broadly for someone else who may be, you know, dealing with contamination. You know, you're going to go to a B restaurant, right? Or if it has a rating of a B, you're going to go there, right? And you're going to see if you dive salmonella, right? Um, you do something relatively small. And then once a month, you do something bigger. And I'd say once, a, you know, twice a year, you do something big, you still really push yourself and kind of schedule that in that you're going to do something really big. Um, but again, that that's, that's, you know, once, twice a year, it still comes down to what are the small things that you're going to continue to do that are going to illustrate to yourself that this thought, this fear does not govern your life anymore, and that you can live with anxiety, you can live with discomfort. This is it is not the end of the world. You don't need to have certainty, assurance, positivity, uh, all of those words. You don't need any of that stuff to live your life. And deep down, we don't really have any of that anyways. It's a false sense of it. So we just keep moving forward. So that's stuff that you can do as just living your life is to continue to do the work that you're doing. Now, something to think about for the latter half of treatment as well is you may it's likely that someone in treatment is going to have a flare-up. They're going to have a relapse. These are different words that folks have used. It's that, and this is perhaps to answer your, your last question here, is what do I do to finally get rid of it? Unfortunately, Mike, there is nothing you can do to, quote, finally get rid of it or to eliminate it or to never have it again. And it's because OCD is a lifelong mental health disorder. And think about it this way. It is a style of thinking. It is a response to the world around you. And it is a overtension to a natural human feeling that we all should have. You have anxiety. I have anxiety. We all have anxiety. We all ought to have it. It keeps us safe. It keeps us on our toes, right? But sometimes some of us over-respond to anxiety. Some of us listen to it way too much, and that is the problem. So if you were to finally get rid of it, you would have to eliminate the feeling, and that's crazy. That's like you. That's like saying, Kevin, I want you to help me get rid of the feeling of love. Can you do that? Or happiness, or joy, or peace, right? We cannot do that, nor would I really want to do that for you. So, we're learning to live with the fluctuations and the rise and fall of anxiety and kind of living with it as, a, as, a, as an emotion and as a sensation that is, is part of life, right? That, that, that anxiety, as to get perhaps, I don't know, woo-woo with it, if you want to say that, it's, you know, we have anxiety so that we, partially we have anxiety, it's not scientific, it's kind of like we have anxiety so that we know what peace feels like, or that we have, we, we need to have this balance, right? We take it in turn as part of life. So if, if you are going into treatment and wrapping your, and, and hoping that you're going to do all these things and then you're finally going to get rid of it, unfortunately, I think that's setting yourself up for failure, I think that you are you are going to turn your treatment into another obsession. I've worked with many folks where it, it, it has turned into that, where as they're working, as they're doing treatment, then they get hyper-focused on why aren't they, quote, done with anxiety or why haven't they beaten it? 
And I, I, the, the, the language is already tying themselves up in a knot because, we're again, we're not going to eliminate happiness. We're not going to eliminate anxiety. Sometimes their measure of success is not feeling anxious or not having those thoughts. The problem is we're going to have thoughts and we're going to have feelings. So, Mike, in, in a weird way, the only way to get, the only way to beat it is to accept that you have it and that it's going to be there. Uh, I've cited this article before, but it's an article by uh, uh, John Hirschfeld. And it's a uh, fantastic as one would expect from John, um, and it's it's something to the effect of, um, or he says this in it. It's um, I I don't have OCD because I know I have OCD. I I think it's a beautiful concept because what he talks about is that that someone with OCD is. He talks about it from his perspective, so I'll just share it from from what he had written. He talks about how um, you know he he knows he's going to have his intrusive thoughts of of a violent nature, and he expects them to be there. And he talks about it in the article, and I'll link it to the uh, on the the um, the page or the uh, the episode page at fearcastpodcast.com. Um, but he he kind of he he's, he. He has a thought, just a, you know, he looks at, he said, I think he says, you know, he looks at his daughters and he thinks about how wonderful they are. And then he goes, and then I imagine, you know, terrible things. And he goes, of course I'll have that. But, but it's that he knows that thought's going to be there. So there's no response. There's no uh, uh, effort spent to get rid of that thought or to stop it or to justify it or to explain it away or to neutralize it. It's that it's just there. Now, uh, this is not to say this is OCD, but I've shared this before, perhaps. At the end of every episode, and I will probably have this later tonight, is um, at the end of every episode, I know that I'm going to have this thought. I will ed- I will finish editing, and I'll put it up, and I'll post it, and here's what will happen. My brain will say, and that's the end of my career. That's it. I'm done. This is the one that I'm going to be found out as a fraud. Or this is the one where I'm going to have uh, I'm going to be canceled, or that it's, I will say something so offensive or so just clinically wrong that you know the um, you know the John Hirschfelds of the world, the um, I, I'm forgetting other you know the Kimberly Quinlans of the world, they're all going to call me and say you know you're wrong, you're an idiot. What's, it, this is this is the crazy stuff that goes through my head sometimes. Now. I attended to that thought for like three episodes. And then after that, it's just a thought that I know is going to be there. And I expect it. And when it's there, I go, maybe. And I just, and here I go. I keep recording. Here we are. So maybe it is the one that's going to ruin my life. Mike, you'll have to call and tell me. But until it happens, it hasn't happened. I'm going to keep going with it. So how do you finally get rid of it? You don't. You embrace it. You have it part of your life, and in doing so, it will, you, you will, you, we will hope your brain will acclimate to it and say, yeah, it's just there. So that's some stuff that you can do to, to anticipate it and to prepare for it. So additionally, to go back to these other things you mentioned, I mean, certainly you talked about the ROCD, um, SOOCD interaction. Um, think about... For, for you, what are the things that you are currently doing in treatment? And, you know, what, what, actually, before I even say that, I'd be curious as to what your clinician says is the end of treatment. What, what do they say is the latter half of treatment? Um, 
because they they may make some other recommendations or suggestions that that I would. I, I would hope that they would recommend the same things I would. But I would I would bring this up with them and to see what they have to say because they might um, offer some special insights for your unique case or your unique situation that that I, I couldn't tell in that you know fifty second call of yours. So. Um, but in terms of best things that you can do, some of the best stuff that you can do for the latter half of treatment is stuff that you're going to do in the first half of treatment, which is being willing to take the risk to feel uncomfortable, be willing to not have certainty, be willing to be tolerant of not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing for sure, but kind of rolling the dice to go back to my Vegas discussion to roll the dice on life. Right to roll the dice that you know I, I don't know if the, the the person you're with is the person for you. They might be, but they might not be. Um, it is said that every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. But you know what? It that one will too because one and both of you will die. I, I know I'm getting super you know uplifting right now, but it's it's to say, you know we're we're here for a short time. You're in this relationship. Is this the one existentially? The one, the one that God's put out there for you? Don't know. And you know what? Don't care. Because either way, I still have to make this relationship the best one that I can. And if you decide it's not for you, that's fine. But not wasting your time with thinking about it. But obviously, you are going to work that out with your therapist. So the best thing you can do in the first, the first half of treatment to help set you up for the second is be willing to live with that certainty and to try to wrap your head around where you are seeking certainty and root it out as best you possibly can in an imperfect way. Again, going back to that other point and the other thing that you can do in the latter half of treatment is be okay with imperfections. Be okay that you're not done with OCD. Be okay that you still have questions about your relationship. Be okay that you still have questions about your sexuality, your sexual orientation. Okay. You don't know for sure. All right. You don't need to know for sure to continue on with your life. Maybe that thought will change, but maybe it won't, but ultimately it doesn't care. It doesn't matter. You treat it as if you don't care about it by just living your life in the best way that you know how in this very moment. Now, that obviously gets more complicated, and that's more sort of acceptance and commitment therapy-based, but that would be some things to think about. So if I'm to wrap this up uh, in my ramblings, so uh, let's see if I can't even wrap this up. Um, Some of the best things that you can do are to continue on to do exposures on a on a progress in a in a somewhat progressive manner but every day doing something taking the risk in the moments that you need to take risk where you feel anxiety take those individual small risks uh to face your fears right um, and that can come in a lot of different ways we previously talked about uh, continuing to do the things that your therapist says ask your therapist what they recommend will be uh what the what the end of treatment looks like be willing to not be okay be willing to live with discomfort and be willing to let anxiety and and, and ocd be in your life be meaning let it show up from time to time not let it run your life anymore but know that it is there so mike i i hope this helps i think that um 
I, uh, we, I, I ought to check in with a colleague of mine to see if we had this. We, we were going to talk on this very, very subject um, at the IOCDF. We made a proposal for it. I don't know if it got accepted. I should contact them to find out. Um, but uh, these are some ideas. Now, I'll say this. For anybody who's out there listening and has hung on this long in the episode, if you have some recommendations, maybe you are on the latter half of treatment or you have some ideas on, for the latter half of treatment, let me know. And you, uh, send them via text. Go over to Fearcast Podcast and send me an email there. Go over to Fear or go over to Fearcast Podcast at Instagram. Send me send me a direct message there, or you can send me an audio, either one. And let me know what has worked for you. Because if we get enough of them, I'll put them up. I'll just pile them all together, and this will be the the ultimate, final, total thing that you can do at the end of treatment episode. If I get enough of them, if I get any of them, I'll put them up, but send them over my way. So Mike, I hope this is helpful. Best of luck in the process. It is, it can be a hard process, but it is worth it. And you are trucking through. So keep it up, man. And best of luck. All right, everybody you made it through this episode. Uh, thank you all very much for trucking through with me on these episodes and through um, this information. I hope it has been helpful. I hope some of it's helpful for those who are listening. So if you have questions, or again, if you have feedback from me, go to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over there. You can also, um, uh, if you have questions for the podcast, go to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the Submit a Question link. Send me a question, and then you can send me an audio question there, or you can send me an audio question at uh, Instagram. Either way is acceptable. So um, please remember, everybody, that... Um, or uh, uh, both. Please remember, everybody, that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. I'm using it already. Um, if you have questions about treatment, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can check out the uh, uh, Find Help link and get some stuff there. So, until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.